Welcome back, I'm Kim Bailey and this is Inside Exec. Today we're continuing our discussion with Rico Nassol and we're going to look at what a creative leader looks like and also his system of three C's, confidence, clarity and culture. And it's interesting when you look at those three and the way he describes them as being a linear progression. So you can't have, you can't start at one or get good at one and then have the other two, that you actually have to do those three in order. So let's hear what we talked about with Rico. In terms of creativity, do you, and we, we have to use the, the word AI or the acronym, do you see that there is a shift generally towards more creativity in the workplace given that we've got this wonderful tool that can help us be a bit more creative yeah just so we're clear are you talking about ai or those kinds of tools like what what tools let's just do tools generally because yeah. it's it certainly in, in the workforce gone other days where you had to have a typewriter to be creative or you had to have a drawing tablet to be creative or you know in my case i came from the construction industry so the big change to that industry was that the draftsmen didn't have a board that they drew on, but they had a computer that they, they could do the, the plans on. So are we seeing enhanced creativity or are we seeing different creativity? I think we're actually, and I don't want to seem hyperbolic, but I do feel like it's the golden age of creativity. Uh-huh. And the reason why I believe that is creativity and creative tools are make everything so accessible nowadays, right? So even back then, my reference of like being a kid using two VCRs to edit it's because I didn't have access to editing technology. Now, any 10-year-old or 12-year-old or whoever can go, there's CapCut there. Like every platform almost has a version of a nonlinear editing tool, right? Mm-hmm. So creativity is more accessible. And what I think this is helping us do is true storytelling to come out and real human experiences to start to come out. Because people who before wanted to express these human experiences but, but weren't able to now can through the accessibility through all those tools. And if they're wondering like, oh, how do I use Premiere? You can go to YouTube. You can go to these places and learn how to use these tools. And you don't need to go to university anymore. You don't need to go to school to learn some of these things. And it's all about refining your craft and whatever that means to you. So if you're an editor or you're a product designer, designing more products, using those tools that enable you to do your job faster and better, right? And even why I bring up AI is I think AI can be dangerous, but I also think AI is a huge tool for creatives. Um, And the one thing that I haven't seen AI do successfully is create human connections, human storytelling, use human emotions, right? I use AI myself as fodder as inspiration, but AI itself doesn't have a story to tell. What makes me, you and I compelling compared to AI is we have human experiences. We have stories to tell. We have experiences we can share of, you know, we have experience with imposter syndrome. We have experience being in the boardroom. We have these experiences that we can share with AI just can't. Does it then follow that in a, in what we see is probably a more openly creative workforce and environment that leadership is more difficult i don't think it's that leadership would be more difficult but i think it has to be more evolved so gone are the days of the tastemakers you know if you go back in the day you had a creative single creative director that told you what good looked like right like if it didn't look like this it wasn't good like that's almost what the whole madman era 
was, right? The tastemakers are telling you what yeah. good looks like. Now, I think everybody who has a perspective and a story to tell, there's an audience there that will connect with that. So I don't think one person can dictate to an entire industry anymore, like what good creative looks like. And so leadership can't look like that either. Leadership now has to foster creativity and what good looks like determined by the audience and determined by the people that are that are doing the craft, right? So even my, my time at Netflix, I gave direction, like make sure that, and, and I had a common knowledge of what good looks like. And this is where I think leadership has to come in is helping define what good looks like. So is it authentic? Is it trust busting? Is it intentional, right? And so now leaders have to foster that environment, but then let it leave it to the creatives and the the people, the artists to actually make that come to life. So creating an environment that fosters creativity instead of being the tastemaker is how I think creative leadership has to evolve or has evolved. That's great. One of the areas that you sent us some feedback on and so on, on a previous podcast was about cycles and about revisiting old ways. What I'm hearing is that you, you still think that that's viable and valuable. As a leader, what are you going to say to me about how I go about that, basically? Because, the, you know, in the organisation, let's say, we've had this one process and we know that there's problems with this process and so now we want to sit down and have a bit of a think tank about how we can change the process. People within the team will suggest, why don't we try this? Someone else will say, we've done that before. It doesn't work. How, as the leader, do we bring that together and say, well, yeah. you know, it's cyclical, you know, we, we need to revisit this stuff because things are different now. We can say that, but how, how can we be convincing about what's different and why it should be considered again? Absolutely. So I'll use an a actual example yep. for this. And it, it, a lot of it is a, just about showing evidence that times have changed, right? So at Netflix, when I first got there, so I first got there at 2012, in 2012, right? And this is coming off of Zappos, where I implemented video descriptions for the first time on an e-commerce platform, first time at scale, right? So I did that through 2008 till roughly 2010. And then going into Netflix, this is what they wanted. They wanted me to come in and help them crack the code for a video. And all I heard was, oh, we've tried that. We've tried video here. We've tried video there, right? And so the things I had to combat was, I get it in 2009, you tried video, but think about what, what online experiences were in 2009. Think about what online experiences are now in 2014, right? 2009, autoplay video and pop-ups were like annoying, but by 2014, 2015, people expected video So mm-hmm. in their experiences. So you have to bring everyone along for the ride that like, you know, this is definitely how it was before, but human behavior has changed with internet speeds, access to technology, whatever it is, the context has changed. So we can continue to stay in 2009 and say, oh, this doesn't work anymore. Or we can do what the, our audience is asking for, evolve with the rest of the world. So that's the way I approach it is, and this can happen in the future too. My way of doing it is not going to be the best way. There's lots of things I did in 2012 in Netflix that were terrible. And we found way better ways to scale and to increased productivity as the years went on, as as we hired people that were intelligent, that were exposed to different tools, different models. It's just by nature, you bring more people in, more ideas are going to flow. So it's just keeping that open mind that solutions can come from anywhere. Human behavior changes, right? 
all of those things impact how we should lead. And that's the context we should bring into these conversations. Do you feel that leadership is sometimes driven by technology rather than by people? I think leadership is driven by humanity. The technology is just a way to help us get there. Okay. So I look at humanity and, and being human beings as the way to be a leader. And I look at technology as the platform to get us there. One of the things that you talked about is your three C's approach, confidence, clarity, and culture. Do you think they're equally weighted? I do. Um, and I think they're, it's sequential. Um, okay. So right. it's in that yep. order. So I believe confidence, because I know myself, and this may not apply to all, because I know some people have extreme confidence in themselves, then they can probably skip that part and move on to the clarity part. But for me, growing up as an immigrant kid, a first-generation kid, son of immigrants, we were always like, keep your head down, all those things. And so when I entered the corporate world, I had a lot of imposter syndrome and, and confidence issues that I needed to work through. As I developed myself and had developed other leaders around me, I noticed that this is the same, like a lot of people, whether they're immigrants or not, have the same insecurities, a fear of failure, a fear of people finding out they're not good enough or not as smart as they thought I was. So the confidence part is really about identifying your strengths and knowing that nobody's perfect. Nobody has all the strengths, right, in, in the world. And we just have to identify our gaps and hire for those gaps. But the first part is identifying him and know that it's okay. And like for a long time, I never wanted to say, I don't know. Like I felt terrible. Like I, yeah. I, I should know that, you know, yeah. but as you develop as a leader, like, I don't know is a totally acceptable answer. And oftentimes the better answer followed by, but I'll go find out or whatever. That's the confidence piece is really building the confidence in your skills and yourself and your abilities and even your emotional intelligence. That's also part of that. And then clarity next is how do you communicate well, effectively? How do you create mission, vision? How do you inspire and motivate, right? How do you get everybody around you to connect what they do to the larger mission and vision of the business? So how do you communicate effectively, create that clarity for everyone? And then the last part is culture is how do you then create these high-performing environments? How do you get everybody to bring their best work? How do you become a coach mentor? How do you create an environment that's diverse, and then has equity and inclusion, right? These things are intentionally laid out that way because you, you can't really start with D, DEI if you don't have your confidence in yourself to be able to have those conversations, to be able to deploy those strategies and tactics. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the order of my foundational leadership program. Okay. So uh, one of our listeners is thinking, well, yes, I've got, I've got those things, I'm confident in all of those things, and now I'm looking at going into a different role, a different organisation, a different industry where the culture is already set, where I am going to be questioned because I haven't been in this industry, I don't have the background in this type of area, whatever it is, as a leader. How do you get it back into that process you know, when you know that the culture is the thing? Because, and, I, and I ask the question because... It is a perennial question that we get through the podcast is how can we change a culture? How can we fix this culture? How can we develop a culture? So organisational culture is something that is uppermost in many leaders' minds that we come in contact with. Yeah, it's it's a great question. It becomes difficult to change because culture is not bottoms up. No. So you can't have you know your ICs, individual contributors, or even your first line managers come in and expect to impact the larger culture, 
right? So it begins with the executives. So if executives, they are the models, they are the ambassadors, like everything, the culture, whatever you say, if you don't act in alignment with those words, then that your culture, if your culture is going to reflect your actions versus what you say. So it starts at the top. And if you are coming in as a middle manager, these are the things where I would, if somebody was asking me if they were going to, they should take this job, say, for example, I would arm them and help them establish their values first. What are your values? What is your personal mission? All those things. And does this align with that? Because I've, unfortunately, a lot of my clients that I work with are in these toxic cultures and many times it could have been avoided because they, they saw red flags, but they were more concerned about the title and the company than they were with the culture and the red flags that they saw. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I talk with them, they're like, oh, I should have known because the CEO was like this, or I should have known because I heard this or should have known. So that's what I would do for someone coming in, whether they should take a job or not. But from internally, it's a soul searching for the executive team because that's the only way to truly impact culture is through top down. Good. At the other end of the scale, you are a leader in an organization and you would like to identify those who might be showing potential. So how do we go about measuring leadership potential within our teams? Yeah, it's a good question. Leadership, I I always would tell my team this, leadership manifests in more ways than one. It doesn't mean people leadership, right? You can tell the leaders because they start to, people start to naturally gravitate toward them. People tend to naturally ask them questions. People ask them to be their mentors. And that that's, those are usually the leaders that will perform well when you promote them or, or if they, if they decide they want to go into people leadership, I don't look for subject matter expertise as much, mm-hmm. right? Because Oftentimes, if somebody's good at the process, it doesn't mean that they'll translate into being able to teach or manage the process or the yeah. people who are now doing that, right? There's amazing creatives that were on my team, but would I ever let them or have them manage people? Probably not because they liked heads down work. They liked to work on their own and kind of be in their bubble. Does that translate to people management? If they wanted to, they could learn those skills, but more often than not, they just liked what they did. They liked the isolation. They liked being individual contributors. It negates the imposter syndrome. They know that they know everything about this topic. And so they're not going to put themselves at risk or be vulnerable. So in terms of being vulnerable, you've talked about saying that you don't know the answer and how that was something that you, you had to learn. Is there a place for vulnerability in our leaders? Absolutely. 100%. One of the first things I did when the pandemic started was share the struggles I was having as a leader and as a father. And what I think that helped do was, and I got a lot of replies back from my team, what it helped do was make people or have people understand that they're not alone in this. Mm -hmm. Like we're all going through this together. And it also showed them another side that I am human. Even though I have a title, it doesn't mean that I have it all together. So I would share that like, yeah, my, my daughter is struggling and I'm trying to help her because She was so used to being around her friends and now we couldn't go anywhere, right? I was struggling because I was a very social person and I loved going to each one of my team members and just randomly, hey, what you working on? I'd love to look at some creative and I wasn't able to do that. So I shared these things I was struggling with, with my team every, every other week, every other Friday, I would send an email out 
and it would talk about the three things I was thinking about for work and the three things that I was thinking about in my personal life. And in terms I, of the responses you got, did you find that people opened up more than you might have expected? Yeah, absolutely. So people would share, hey, I'm struggling with the same thing. I got a lot of great tips too. Like, oh, hey, we, um, I enrolled my daughter in like a pandemic pod. Maybe it's something you'd want to look into. So it was, it was just a way for me myself to maintain mental health, but also yeah. to share with my team and allow them the ability to be vulnerable back. Time for a break in this really interesting discussion with Rico. Join us for part three, the final part of this discussion. For now, I'm Kim Bailey and this is Inside Exec. <laughs> 